0: Welcome to Inspiration from the Couch. I'm Avery. I'm Jamie. And I'm Lucy. We are psychologists and
1: moms. Join us as we discuss what we've figured out, what we've yet to figure out, and what there's just no figuring out.
2: It's sure to be fun, and you may be inspired along the way.
0: Welcome. So we want to start today by telling you about an exciting announcement. We've mentioned in previous episodes that we are starting to expand our work here. And one of the ways that we're going to kind of expand going forward is reaching out to the community kind of in these live presentations. And we actually had the opportunity to do our first presentation as a group. We've all, of course, individually talked to different groups or schools, et cetera. But when this podcast episode airs, we will have already completed our first Group presentation that the three of us get to do together. And we really enjoyed pulling together our thoughts for this presentation. so we thought we'd share some of the information that we kind of came across with you, our listeners. So the topic was adolescent relationships. And I'll tell you, this is an issue that's kind of coming up for me almost constantly in my life. Whether it's with patients, whether it's with my own daughter, whether it's with friends that are also parents of adolescents, like it just kind of feels like it is a constant, Topic, you guys, y'all are both nodding your heads. Like mm-hmm. this is yes. this is the way that it, yes. yes. And so I think you know, there's no question that navigating adolescent relationships is difficult. Always has been, probably always will be, but especially when there have been so many cancellations, when many of the opportunities for this kind of natural progression, this kind of natural development of social relationships have been canceled or affected by the pandemic. And so, I I don't know, you probably remember that feeling when you were first kind of getting to be around people again, is that like, I don't know what to do with my hands kind of feeling. I don't know how to do small talk. And I think that is obviously also happening for our kids. And so, I think that kind of making conversation just can be very difficult. And so, I think, um, and actually I had a patient say something similar. He was saying something like, you know, it's not like anybody has ever said that being a teenager is easy. And now this has just made it more difficult. It's like, like no question, we're struggling. Like public service announcement, the teenagers are struggling.
2: Well, and by the way, I think that you have the pandemic. And then I think this other dynamics with, with social media mm-hmm. and like written communication. And totally, it's a totally different way of communicating. Everything is recorded. And then... I think my kids especially miss like the verbal skills. I don't think they know how to have like a real life conversation. That's right. Somewhat horrifying.
0: That's right. Uh Well, you've got that. And then also you've got that a lot of us have been wearing masks Yep. and now they're coming off. And a lot of kids I talk to don't really feel comfortable with that. My 10 year old,
2: we had to like hide, hide every single mask Uh in our house because she wants to wear them. And she's like, I can I have it back?
0: Right. I know. I know. Is it anxiety
2: about the illness, or is it anxiety no, about not about is, the illness? It's more like I think wanting to hide. Wanting yes. to hide. It's more like embarrassment. Wanting to. It's like a, a protective mm-hmm. shield. Yeah. Shield. Uh-huh. shield. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's Armor.
0: what I've heard a lot too. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. So as a result of all of this, we may kind of feel more pulled in to kind of step in, right, with in a more hands-on way than um, maybe we even did a few years ago. So where do we draw the line is kind of what we'll talk about today. So I worked with a group of parents of adolescents actually right before the pandemic started. And we started calling this thing the suck it up line. So where is the line between like, I do it for you, or I help you and like suck it up, do it yourself. And so we did, we, we were calling it the suck it up line, that line kind of between like stepping in and stepping back. And so I thought we could start off with that first option of stepping in. So like, when do we need to step
2: in i'm laughing because you call it the suck it up line and i'm like how many millions of suck it up lines do we have to have <laughs> oh for our gosh. kids during the course of their growing up <laughs> oh my gosh so this is something that we have to constantly jump rope like, with it, it. yeah yes. Yes. yes yeah,
1: yes not everything is going to be a bowl of cherries
0: <laughs> 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 what would you guys say is like kind of a clear step in so when do you get this and sense talking specifically around social dynamics and relationships? Sure, let's start there. Let's start there. So like when there's a social dynamic or a social relationship with an adolescent, either as a parent or as a consultant for a parent, where do the clear step in
1: kind of situations? I mean, I think it, depends yeah. on <laughs> I think it definitely depends. I think there's a lot of gray area. Totally. And and I think that's why this issue can be so complicated mm-hmm. is because I think one of the first things you have to take into consideration your your kiddos developmental level, like their age, mm-hmm. where they're at, their emotional maturity, that sort of thing. Do they have the skills to handle some of these situations? Is it anxiety? Is it, you know, what mm-hmm. what is what is going on that maybe is preventing this kiddo from interacting as effectively as they can. That's right. You know, with their with their peers. So, you know, I think first we have to ask a lot of questions mm. about whatever is going on mm-hmm. with the kiddo to decide whether we're going to step in or not. That's right.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. So, kind of evaluating what is the situation and kind of keep asking those
1: questions. So you get a yeah. really good sense. Yeah, because like happening. for example, like my 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 daughter. I think she does a really a, a pretty fine job navigating social situations, but she'll she'll come to me and sometimes she uses like fairly dramatic wording. <laughs> what I would call social. Never, never. She'll be fourteen. So you know, for me, I have to look at is this like social drama or is this something that socially is harmful? Mm-hmm. And nine point nine times out of ten, it is more social drama. And so asking questions and and allowing her to kind of. Of answer those, reflect on those, a lot of times is all that we need, rather than me actually stepping in. You know, I, I would say really severe, like, physical harm or mental harm, if there's mental health concerns among the peers, you know, substance use, risk taking behavior. So definitely more on that side of the continuum, or even maybe like brand new situations that the kids haven't been exposed to, I'm, I might want to step in a little bit. So when you're talking about kind of these serious concerns, yes. like these, I, I kind of Think
0: about it, like adult size problems. Like, Absolutely. is there a mental illness? Is there a learning disability? Is there something that really is beyond? the scope of, yes. of your child's development.
2: Yes. Yeah. So, and even like along those lines, something that's inappropriate, right? That's so if we're right. talking about having right. sex and it's a 10-year-old, right? That's or right. Eight-year-old. like That's then, right. That's okay, right. Adult size problem. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding, <laughs> right. yeah.
0: Exactly. So there's some c- pretty clear ideas of like when to step in. And, and by stepping, I mean, kind of like, okay, I'm handling this now, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and we're going to kind of talk uh, kind of at the end about stepping alongside, which I think is where most of these issues kind of fall. What about stepping back? When do we know or how do we know when to step back?
2: So I think, and Jamie, I loved your description around like you gotta ask a lot of questions first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes, and, and we are all trained as as psychologists and therapists, and it's like our job to ask questions. But for me at least, I don't know if y'all feel this way with my kids. As a parent, sometimes I can default much more quickly to like fix it problem solving mode. Yes, same. And let me just jump in and like tell you what to do yes, and how you should think and feel about it. Right. So it's like we forget all of that. And mm-hmm. I think as a parent, we want to like fix. Right. So this really big importance around like the validating. Right. And you know, Jamie, what you're saying, like 99.9% of the time, like, be it social drama or whatever it is, like our kids just need to be heard and understood and listened to. And so how do we air more on that side to kind of decide, like, I think that's the first way to step back is we like listen and ask a lot of questions and try to get like the lay of the land. And then I think second, as much as possible, how do we be a consultant to our kids? So how do we kind of help guide and direct or ask good questions in that Socratic method to like lead them on their own as much as possible? That's right. I think kind of just giving it a second. I
0: mean, especially when it doesn't hit those big warning red flags of like, ooh, big adult size problem. I think you can give it a minute. These things change so quickly. I mean, and and sometimes just even that perspective can be really helpful of like, this is just the way peers work. Monday, you're going to be on the outs. Tuesday, you're going to be on the in. Wednesday, somebody else is going to be on the out. Right. Like it's just kind of navigating that, like kind of some aerial view of that. But also for ourselves that we can give it a minute, especially if it's not one of these critical things we talked about. And see, I mean, maybe on Monday it feels like something that we want to step completely out of. By Wednesday, we're like, mm, "I'm going to step alongside of." And maybe by Friday, it's like, "Oh no, no, I need to call the teacher." Right? right. Like kind of giving ourselves that that freedom as well. So I think. Most often, we as parents of adolescents find ourselves in the position of needing to walk alongside, to step kind of alongside our adolescents. So, I'm mostly thinking about when there is just simply a gap in knowledge. So, one thing that I've been thinking about recently, especially with my own daughter, Wesley, is that she just needs some more direct instruction on certain things. I think, especially within the context of the pandemic, when we went into the pandemic, she was 10 and did not have a phone. And now she's almost 13 and does have a phone. And so, things like, how do you make plans? Like, she can text her own friends, but a parent's not involved, right? And so, does she text her friends, and then they figure out the plan and inform us? Do they still have to ask? Do I still follow up with a parent? How do how do we all navigate that? And I was talking about this, actually, with another parent in her class, and they said, you know, our rule is you kids can make whatever plans you want, but it's not solid. It's not for real until parents have have communicated, and I love that. It's like y'all figure out all the details. That's great. What time? Where we're going? Where we? are But you both, the parent to parent, needs to happen before there's a drop off. So almost like you figure
2: out what you'd like to do, yes. <laughs> and then like you come to us with the That's, plan, I and you get it. like approval right. or not, hundred percent, one hundred
0: percent. And so I think about like when she was younger, when Wesley was younger too, there were some gaps in like her ability to communicate. That sometimes, like on the playground, I don't want to be your friend really meant I don't want to do that thing that you're doing right now, or they don't. Want to play with me really meant they want to do this thing that you don't want to do, right? And so I think that there are some of those like clear gaps of like, this is a skill that we need to teach that maybe... Maybe pre-pandemic, it would have been exactly the same. But but especially with that, there may have just been these situations that did not come up, that they didn't figure out how to manage naturally. And so now we just have to step in. And especially maybe even teach our 13-year-olds things that we thought maybe they would have picked up at 10, that they just didn't. Like, there's just these gaps. And so I just offer all of us some compassion around that,
2: that like, it's different. Like, there's some differences. And I think, I think Avery, too, what you're pointing to is there's also this developmental shift, right? Like, so I think of Addison, my 13-year-old, who's just... I don't want to say, I don't want to say she's behind, right? But she's like just in a different place socially sure. than mm-hmm. some of her peers, right? Mm-hmm. So like there are going to be some gaps if I compare to other people. But when I think of her own readiness for things, she's just on a different time. That's right. Table. Right. And so how do you kind of respond to your child? How do you be mindful of, you know, the bigger picture? Like where do we need to fill in those gaps? Where do we just wait till they're ready?
1: Mm-hmm. And I don't
2: think there's a clear answer to that.
1: Right. 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 Thinking about it as Grace will be fourteen this summer, and the topic recently has come up about crushes in in middle school, mm. and her frustration I think with some of her peers for always wanting to talk about crushes, whether on TV, whether there yes. are you know whether it's it's wherever, and she's like, is there something wrong with me that I don't I'm I don't have that, and I'm like, not at all, honey. I mean, it's it's again, it's I'm I will ask questions, but also to like really normalize that mm. everybody moves along at their own pace. Mm -hmm.
0: Any other gaps? I think one thing we'll talk about, certainly, I think one big gap is how to handle conflict. And we'll definitely get into that as well. But any other gaps that you guys can think of that, like just skills?
1: I mean, conflict, I would say absolutely that navigating as they get a little older romantic relationships. I would say also too, like being able to say no to your friends, I think is a big one. And it's something that I I work with Max and and Grace on because they want to maintain their friendships, obviously, but sometimes they're just not up to like going and spending the night at somebody's house. And so how can you tune into that? and be honest, you know, without making up like a huge excuse or wanting me to get them out of it or, or things like that. I think it's a it's a great skill for them to develop early on. Well, and yeah.
2: that is so new for me because mm. I think, and we've talked about this in a past podcast too, where I grew up where like, there's some white lies. Like you don't want to hurt people's feelings. Sure. So you need to have like a reason or an excuse, but both my kids are homebodies, right? And so yeah. how do I own that and just say like, they're a homebody. Mm-hmm. Like, they just want to stay at home. They want to stay in their pajamas. They don't want to leave. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> but without having to to make an excuse or feel bad or guilty. Right. And then when do we start to kind of
0: offload that to our kids that okay, you are well, you can stay home, but I'm not gonna run interference. I would maybe when you were six or seven. But if you're wanting to stay home, how do I support you and being able to communicate that in a way that feels like a fit for you but gets you what you need? Gosh, and then now
2: I'm thinking though too, you have the flip side, or at least when I think of my kids, you know, who are both somewhat anxious, right? Like also if they stay home all the time they're not going to be as close to their friends. So also Mm -hmm. how do you not like guilt them or try to coerce them into something, but also help them see, like give them a vantage point perspective. So I'm thinking like my oldest, who was so anxious. I had two opportunities to see her in action with friends where she was anxious. So she shut down, like literally made zero eye contact, looked down, didn't say a word. And we left and I was like, whoa, like what just happened? And I said, you know, because I think this happens a lot with highly anxious people. They're mm-hmm. interpreted as being kind of like an asshole or like, oh, mm-hmm. they think they're too cool or they don't like me or they don't care when they're just so incredibly anxious. And I think that was like a light bulb moment for her of like, oh, here's how I'm feeling, but how I may come across mm-hmm. to the world mm-hmm. is so different and like that that interferes with me getting closer to mm-hmm. people.
0: That's exactly right. And I think, I think there is that kind of like I don't want to guilt them. I had a similar experience with my daughter also. So Wave is honestly pretty anxious. We were talking about a big trip that her class was making, and she was very anxious about that. And we we talked about it. And I said, you know, Wesley, you need your friends. And they need you. I mean, think about what will happen if you're not there. You won't leave as close. And of course, she's like, you're making me feel guilty. And I was like, well, I'm just trying to show like the natural consequences. that They're going to have all had this week together. And if you don't go, you won't have had that week to get closer. And they won't have had that week with you. I mean, maybe you're what they need. And kind of that idea of that like give and take Mm -hmm. of a relationship, I think, This trip is actually a wonderful example of what I'm talking about with the pandemic concerns is that had the pandemic not happened, Wesley would have had like a four-day trip last year. And had she been at the same school, she may have had like a three-day trip the day the year before, maybe a two-day trip the year before. Right, right. But instead, we're kind of jumping in, we're in seventh grade, and it's like, oh my gosh, and there's going to be a spring dance. And it's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> like we didn't have really sixth grade for that, yeah. to, to manage all of that. And and we were in a different school, so fifth grade was very different too. And so I think there's a, that feels like an experience that's happening for a lot of kids across the board, is I feel like I'm jumping in the deep end because we didn't have, like, the runway. Mm -hmm. Like, we didn't have the time to kind of, like, figure out the first boy-girl party before the first, like, school-sanctioned dance. Like, you know, and there's just, I think that's kind of something that we have to be compassionate, certainly with our kids about, but even ourselves, that like, oh, that feels really scary to me. Like, it's a week away because we haven't had that runway either. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think s- still wanting to encourage them, meet them where they are and kind of take those baby steps, but acknowledge like, we're going to maybe have to go a little bit faster than we're comfortable with so we can catch up. And and this same trip next year, Wesley will be going to Washington, DC for yeah. a week. And I said, well, you, you, we really need you to go to the one in Texas because you're going to have to get on a plane for the next one. We don't want you to miss that one. And so like, sorry, you're going to have to jump in the deep end, but better now than next year. So anything else before we jump into kind of like managing conflict or helping our kids.
2: Well, and I think one thing as we were just talking was this idea about how do we help our kids see natural consequences? How do we help them be curious about how things might play out? How do we offer different vantage points? But how do we do all of that with like kindness and compassion and and just a sense of like any way you go is fine. That's right. Right? Mm-hmm. If you stay home because you want to be in your pajamas and you're just not as close like mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And you maybe have a great time at home and that feels worth it, right? Like, and how do we not shame? How do we not
0: blame? I think what you're talking about there is how do we kind of take ourselves out of that? Yeah. That like, you're not going to go to please me. You're not going to stay home to please me. That I'm taking myself out and just showing you the natural consequences that will happen. Like, I don't actually have a dog in this race, except that I care about you and want you to have all the information right. or as much as I can provide you. Yeah. And and that it's, it's not... T- benefiting you for me to keep from you that, hey, there are natural consequences to going and to staying home. And I want to use my frontal lobe function to help point those out to you so you can have more information. So thinking about conflict, I think that that's one of the biggest Gaps, my goodness, I think even as, as adults, is how to manage conflict in friendships. And I think that that's something that can be. And it's not
2: even, sorry to interrupt. Go. It's no. not even conflict, but it's the, what we fear might be the potential for conflict. Because I really feel like 80% of the time, no conflict actually happens. But we are so afraid of either conflict or like a loss of closeness or connection mm-hmm. or someone's opinion of us. We're afraid of something bad happening. And so we avoid. Mm-hmm. That, oh, yeah. But For I think sure. they all maybe fall under this umbrella of mm-hmm. times like we don't speak our truth or we hide in service of playing it safe,
0: mm-hmm. maybe. That's right. So it it sounds like I think when we're trying to help kids manage conflict, I think there's some like general principles. And you kind of touched on this as like a, avoiding shame and blame. So I think that that's kind of when we're when our kids are talking to us, we don't want to say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you said that. Or what, you know, but just more kind of listening, hearing kind of where they're coming from and kind of that same idea, asking a lot of questions, validating along the way. What else?
1: Yeah, and I think the kinds of questions that you ask are really important. And so more like reflective questions Kinds of questions versus reactive kinds of questions. Can you give like, some examples? Like you, like you were saying, like you were saying, like why in the world did you say that? Or what is wrong with your friend? Or you know, like What's those. Wrong kinds with you? Of, yeah, right. What's wrong exactly. With like what? Like those leading kind hell? of you obviously yeah. have uh, an opinion about right. this kind of questions, right? Which doesn't allow for your kiddo to to really like reflect. You know, to kind of take some of that emotional intensity out of it a little bit. I think is important. I mean. And I think, too, like even asking like really specific things, because like, for example, if my my daughter said, you know, so-and-so said something mean to me today. Okay, so what what do you mean by mean? Like, give me an example of like what they said or if, you know, you hear somebody saying like, you know, oh, so-and-so was bullying, you know, so-and-so, you know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But you need to get a clearer picture. Like, so what do you mean like by bullying? What happened? Tell me what's going on. Yeah, so real open-ended, taking the judgment, that bite out of those questions. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so there's this concept that we we talk about a lot in therapy called Socratic questioning. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we've kind of alluded to that here, but... And I, you guys correct me if you're if I'm wrong here, but I think the whole idea behind Socratic questioning is even if I know where I want to go, I don't just say, Lucy, just invite your friend over. I ask you questions so that you get to where I think maybe we should go. So I ask you, Lucy, the questions of like, well, what do you think is making you feel so lonely? What could you do about it? like
2: I'm putting more of the onus on you? Well, and the reason, at least what we're taught and what I've what I've seen experienced is when people come up for it themselves, when they say the words themselves yes. and are able to get there, it is much more powerful. Powerful than if we tell them. right? And let's be honest, as parents, how often do our kids resist just because we've said it or suggested yeah, it? Yes. They don't listen to us. There's right. like a pushback. <laughs> and so if you ask just questions, and especially the more like unattached you are mm-hmm. or seem to be, at least that's the point. You might be attached, but at least pretend not mm-hmm. to be. I think the more likely you are to help help get rid of that dynamic where they're just trying to like either please you or rebel against you. Right. Right. Both of those are are dangerous. Oh, mm-hmm. Totally. And you're activating their brains,
0: right? Their problem-solving skills. I mean it's it takes no strategies whatsoever for me to sit here and listen to you tell me what to do. But if I'm engaged in the process, not only am I more likely to do it, because it's that motivational interviewing thing of like the language we believe the most is the words that come out of our own mouths. But it's also that like lighting up of your like neurons, right? Like you're firing of like, oh, what could I do? And making these connections and thinking it through and, oh, well, what would happen if I did this? And how could I can that is really you're you're you truly are walking alongside at that point, because you're helping to guide your kids to be
2: able to do that themselves. And I think a really really important point with this is don't try to have that conversation when you or your child are emotionally activated. Mm -hmm. So when our, we call it like our lid is flipped on our brain. Like, so when our emotions are really high and that limbic system has taken over, we do not do good problem solving and reasoning and logic. And so, especially (laughs) in those moments when our emotions are high as a parent, like validate, validate, validate validation. You can go back and listen to our podcast on that one. An earlier episode, it doesn't mean you agree with it. It doesn't mean what they're saying is true. It just means that you were trying to understand how they're feeling. And like once the feelings come back down to baseline, then we can have one of these like thinking conversations.
1: Right. And that, that works no matter what age you are. Right.
2: That's right. And 40s as well.
1: So yes. totally yes.
0: there's nothing more frustrating than than wanting validation and getting problem solving. Yes. And, and you'll I, feel it with your kids. You can oh, feel it. Yes. yes. Literally. And I think sometimes you even ask, like, what do you what do you need? Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to kind of help you comfort or do you want us to try to solve it?
2: And especially the first times you ask that, they won't know. No,
0: they won't know. <laughs> right. right. They won't. Know. Or, and so that's where you say for yourself, right? I'm like, it seems like you're really upset. Why don't we get calmer before we should even try to solve this problem? I don't think that we're going to be able to do a very good job until let's we get calmer. To it. Let me just mm-hmm. rub your back, give you a hug, let you go color in your room. Let's watch a show together. Like, let's just kind of bring it down. And then we, this will still be here. This, I mean, it may feel like a crisis right now, but it will, oftentimes it will be here certainly until tomorrow you know? And so I think kind of fostering that. So I think other things we talked about, one is kind of this, this idea that this is all growing resilience. It isn't our job as parents to like clear the path for everything. Some of this difficulty is just part of our kids figuring out how to manage life's difficulties, right? Becoming more
2: resilient. And that's the three of us talk a lot about I think bullying happens and it's very important to acknowledge and identify and deal with it. Mm-hmm. I do think more generally we overuse the word bullying and we end up lumping a lot of things that are normative developmental trials <laughs> trials into that category mm-hmm. and I think this is one of those things where every kid is going to be excluded. Mm-hmm. Every kid is going to be mean. Every kid's mm-hmm. going to be on the receiving end of mean. So some of that stuff mm-hmm. that happens that I think if we try to make it all okay or make sure none mm-hmm. of that happens, we're actually doing a great disservice to our kids because all of us have to learn how mm-hmm. to navigate through difficult interpersonal dynamics. How do we have how do we cope when something hurts us? Mm-hmm. How do we take care of ourselves? How do we talk with someone else about that? How do we get support? Those are all really important life skills. That's right that we need to be uh, to be resilient. And so totally. we, these are all opportunities to grow that resilience. That's right. that's right. And this idea of like, you know, certainly when they're younger,
0: the only child that's maybe under our control is our own. And certainly as they get older, it's, I mean, that becomes less and less true, but kind of fostering this belief that, hey, you are the person that you have control over. And so what you do, how you show up in these relationships, we can give you skills, we can give you strategies, we can talk about problem solving, but that you're the one that shows up. And it's not really our job to make sure that there's nobody difficult in your life. And it's not and your job never difficult. Or think that you're never
2: difficult.
0: (laughs) It's just not true. But it's much more, how do I manage difficult people? How do I manage when I have difficult emotions? Kind of strengthening the kid, for sure. Other things that we kind of talked about is these kind of specific skills. So kind of trying to talk about values, maybe building empathy, different kinds of conflict resolution skills, anything like that that really seems any specific skills that you guys have found to be super helpful.
1: I mean, I love any questions that revolve around empathy and trying to help your kiddos figure out what's going on, not just with themselves, but with other people too. I think that's really important because I I don't think people realize that empathy really is a skill. We can get better at it. This is something that we can instill in our kids. That and, and you know, really it's a a form of perspective taking, which is so important when you're navigating relationships. So, yeah, I mean, I I, that's one of my big pointers. And I love, for that, parents and mm-hmm.
2: I love love that and I think that part of the thinking around here empathy I think it ties in with this concept of what we call egocentrism mm-hmm. right and what egocentrism mm-hmm. is seeing the world from our own perspective right so I, in graduate school we learned about this study where like maybe I had someone had like a 3d model did y'all see this one like it was like maybe like hills or a castle and they put kids at different places around the board once so oh, yeah. I'm on one side and I see like a castle and on the other side you see like you know the mountain and the castle's blocked and you're like oh what is you know, Avery across the board oh, yeah, mm-hmm, And mm-hmm. and when children are, are young, that egocentrism is they imagine everyone else sees the world exactly, exactly as like they, they see it. Mm-hmm. right? So if I have the mountain in front of me, I think everyone is seeing the mountain. But as they reach a certain age and as your brain start to develop, you're able to kind of like, oh, well, Avery's on that side or Jamie's over here. And so they're going to see X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing with empathy. And yes. so I think part of it, there's this developmental piece where it starts To come more readily as their Mm -hmm. mind is able to do that. But definitely, there are ways that we can help teach and grow that skill. And that developing of compassion for other people
1: is so, so powerful. Uh And how we can do that and and teach them to have compassion and have empathy, but being able to take care of themselves at the same time, you know, because I think that's also a large part of it is that, you know, I have kids that are extremely empathic, but they want to kind of take away the pain of like their friend and may want to take on a little too much. So, how do we help our kiddos and ourselves, quite honestly, not get completely overwhelmed and sucked in when somebody else is struggling like how can we be a support to them but also taking care of ourselves at the same time
2: that's such a great point and, and I think kids are wired differently so my oldest is so empathic and so naturally I think she has that like sensitivity where she like reads the room and feels it all yes. and my youngest like not at all my youngest <laughs> one has like the thickest skin like says mean things And I don't think she's meaning to be mean I think she that's just how she is a little Uh bit. So she's going to need a lot more guidance around like building empathy because it just doesn't come quite as naturally. That's right. right. And so there is that kind of like, wanting to
0: beef up the empathy when needed and also wanting to kind of manage the boundaries with those kids that are really empathic. I like love that old adage of like what Susie says about Sarah says more about Susie than Sarah. And so this idea of like, some people are just going to be mean. Some people are just going to say some things that are mean. And that really just means that they're maybe having an off day that's much more about them than it is about you. So, and, and I, I talk a lot to kids about like, First, you kind of got to check in with yourself and see, like, if somebody says, oh, you're so lazy and you're actively sleeping through class, you might take that in. But if somebody says, oh, you're so lazy when you're actively doing all of the work in the group project, you might say, oh, not for me. That's more about Susie, not about me. And so I think kind of working on building those boundaries, I think, has been really helpful in my work with adolescents of, okay, allowing your teacher to be maybe even unreasonable, and not have that leave your teacher and come onto you and make you feel so frustrated that you're now drowned in emotion and being able to kind of like get some oxygen around it and say, Yep, you're being unreasonable. I'm gonna do the best I can, but I don't actually have to like come over there and make you less unreasonable or have that affect me. I can kind of keep that boundary.
2: That's that analogy if we get feedback and it's our job to like <laughs> try it on, right? Mm-hmm. Does it fit? Does it not fit? Do I wanna keep it? Do I wanna throw it out? Mm-hmm. Um, But we sometimes forget that intermediary step. So I think having some conversations
0: around these values with our kids, like being kind, standing up for each other, having empathy can be really helpful. And talking about these things, again, like not being afraid to directly teach some of these things. I think this awareness that some kids are going to pick up things more naturally than others kind of across the board. Some kids are going to learn how to tie their shoes a lot easier. Some kids are going to learn how to make a friend a lot easier, that some of these skills are just going to have to be broken down and taught like you would anything else. Empathy is one of them, conflict resolution is one of them. Maybe you do role playing. Maybe you talk about ways that things have been handled in the past. But I think I think having those kind of skills as an idea that that really you do have to teach some of these things that that maybe you wouldn't have had to in the past. Also looking at, and this is what I think is our biggest problem with the word bullying, is it puts all of the responsibility on the bully. And, and sometimes that may be true. I mean, bullying exists, it happens, and sometimes it is completely the bully being a bully. But much more often with conflict, it is it is a relationship, right? It's both I can take some responsibility and you can take some responsibility. So I think there's kind of fostering that responsibility. And that's so empowering yeah. for people too,
2: <laughs> rather than like everything happening to me and I'm the victim. Um, the sense of like, what can I do? What do I have kind of power and control over? Mm-hmm. What is my recourse? What are my options? And how do I do what I can do? That's exactly right. So I was actually talking to my
0: niece like about a week ago. She had taken this self-defense class. And she said that when we are being attacked, even physically, we focus so much on what's being attacked. So like if somebody grabs our arm, we focus all of our energy often on trying to get that arm free. And what her self-defense coach said is to ask yourself the question, what else do I have? So if I've got three other appendages, I don't really need to care so much about this one arm that I can't get free. I can use other hands or other other ways to get around it. And I love this idea of conflict too. Like, what else do I have? I could not eat lunch with that person anymore. I could go to another part of the building. I could go hang out with another group of friends if this person's having a personal problem today. And so kind of acknowledging like, yeah, like what else do I have available to me that could help me solve this problem. So kind of like wrapping this up, what kinds of things do you feel like, what are our nuggets? What are our do try this at home for today?
1: So I think we mentioned it in a previous podcast probably the one on on validation but one of my absolute favorite books for parents is the power of validation i think it is so good it's such a great book such an easy read wonderful practical tips and tricks and great reflective questions for parenting and so my tip would be grab a hold of that book because it just has such great advice in it yeah
0: other books, I think another one that I love is How to Raise an Adult. Oh, that's it does a, good a one really too. nice job of kind of talking about developmental stages, even of like when is it. Appropriate to step back, and when is it appropriate to kind of keep, keep keep stepping in? But I and I love just this even question of like, okay, could I step back? Could I step alongside? Especially if you're one of those parents, kind of like my like me, that I always like to step in.
2: So I think this idea too is like, how do we as parents slow it down? Mm-hmm. Right. So how do we kind of take a step back? How do we ask a lot of questions? How do we let go of our own desire to like want to fix, control, manage? Right, and instead work on being a consultant Mm -hmm. unless we need to do something else and you'll know usually Mm -hmm. that's right
0: and i like that too because their awareness of like what are we doing to kind of foster that yeah love that going forward
2: well thanks for joining us today next week we are going to be talking about distraction and living our distracted lives sometimes so please join us then and we'll look forward to seeing you soon Thank you for joining us for this episode.
1: Subscribe to Inspiration from the Couch wherever you access your podcasts.
2: We always welcome your feedback. Visit us on our website at inspirationfromthecouch.com.